Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to podcast number 82 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers and for Seekers. Just want to say thanks for taking a few moments to give us a listen. And as we have mentioned before, we don't get any financial compensation for our efforts here at God Beyond the Bible. Our pay is the knowledge that we may say something that encourages you to rethink organized religion's approach to God and the Bible. And to join the countless others who are moving towards taking personal responsibility for their own spirituality. Around here, we call folks who share this pursuit of spiritual independence seekers. That's why you hear us say this podcast is designed by seekers and for seekers. How about shout outs? Tebby? Our shout outs this week go to Alexander and Thunder Doctor. Okay, and I want to say shout out to DJ too. DJ always listens, I know, because he's always talking about so. All right, and our quote of the day today is my re- my religion consists of a humble admiration for the illimitable superior spirit who reveals himself in the slight details that we are able to perceive with our frail and feeble minds. Albert Einstein. Oh, pretty cool. I'd have to sit and I, I, think I, about that. I way. got the yeah. I got the I got the gist of <laughs> yeah. most of it there, but it was a little. It's one of those that could speak to you for a day or two. Uh, Last episode, we made an attempt at perhaps giving a few pointers on raising our children to be seekers. Uh, We sincerely hope we encourage Natalie and others who desire to see their children develop a healthy spiritual perspective in their own lives. So that brings us down to today. All right. So today's topic discussion is on heaven and you know it's hard to believe it's taken us more than 80 episodes to get around to it (laughs) heaven is often talked about as though we know all about it but the truth is we actually know very little about heaven as a concept or a place again statistically speaking most people surveyed that is about 80 percent believe in heaven as a concept or a literal place however if we were to ask 100 people to describe what they think heaven is like you're probably going to get a hundred answers that vary in detail and description. That's for sure. Yes. Listen to a hundred different preachers. Right. (laughs) So as hard as it may be to believe, the Bible itself is not very clear when it comes to getting any kind of detailed description of heaven. And I kind of argued with this and I had to do a little back (laughs) What what did you find out? There's a lot less in there than I remembered. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of that the Bible or Shakespeare kind of thing. (laughs) 
Um, the word heaven actually appears just under 600 times in our modern English Bible. And of course, we calculated that using the King James Version. Mm-hmm. We counted 572 times total, give or take a few. And by our best calculations, the word heaven appears 318 times in the Old Testament and 254 times in the New Testament. And what we found interesting is that in the Old Testament, only one Hebrew word was used for heaven. It's number 8064 if you use the Strong's Concordance. And it's the Hebrew word, sh- yeah. Shemayim. Shemayim, mm-hmm. which simply means to be lofty. I knew I was going to butcher that. That's all right. That's okay. Well, interestingly, this word Shemayim, that's S-H-A-M-A-Y-I-M, uh, I may not be pronouncing it right either, but it's used to represent anything above the Earth's surface, such as the sky that the birds and clouds are in, uh, what we call the Earth's atmosphere, and it's used to denote the area outside our atmosphere, what we call the celestial realm, where the sun, moon, and stars are. And yes, occasionally it is used to denote the dwelling place of God, angels, and other spiritual entities. In the New Testament, the word translated heaven is the Greek word oranos. Yeah, that's it. Okay. It is also used for anything elevated above the earth's surface, from the mountain peaks that reach into heaven to the area occupied by birds and clouds, the sun, moon, planets, and stars, and also the dimension of God and angels. Once again, like the Old Testament word translated heaven, it is used very liberally in its meaning, simply anything that is elevated above the earth's surface. And you know, that can really change when you're reading the Bible and you don't, you wonder which, mm-hmm. which which heaven is this? But we'll talk about that. Only three times in the New Testament was any other word used for heaven. It appeared in John's writing of the Revelation. In chapters 8, chapter 14, and chapter 19 of Revelation, it, and it was a variation of the word Uranus. Uh, in these three places, John used the Greek word. I knew I was going to draw this. It's <laughs> that's, why, that's why I put the pronunciation down there. It's Messer and... Mesoranemia? That's it. Or Nema. Mesoranemia. That's what it is. Okay. It's got that, it has that Oranus in it, though. Right. And, a, yes. and it means mid sky or midway. And uh, each time he spoke of the, each time he used it, he spoke of the angels flying in the midst of heaven. That was that other word besides Oranus or the middle of heaven, or it was used for mid sky. The reason this is so important is to know that most of the time when we read the word heaven in the Bible, it isn't speaking of a spiritual realm, rather the natural realm of the sky and stars. As we mentioned before, the term is used for anything elevated above the earth's surface. Again, mountains were sometimes described as reaching to heaven because of their lofty height. This simple fact is important when we read of the the Tower of Babel reaching into heaven. It simply means it was really tall. That's all it means. It is likely there was no spiritual implications at all. No, and you know, I've never thought, but we always try to put that. In a spiritual context. And it was just really tall. Well, uh, I I thought of another one while we were talking about that in it. And it slipped away from me, so oh, I guess I guess we'll just <laughs> well, we'll just go ahead and pass on it. The Bible really uses hyperbole a lot. Mm-hmm. You see it 
you know, we use it in our day-to-day life. When Tabby tells me that Bailey spilled about a million beads on the kitchen floor, yeah, that's, <laughs> I right. know that there was probably more like a hundred, yeah. but it was too many to want to sit right. down and count. I know what I was so. thinking of. It was uh, it was the text that's always uh, uh, credited to, it's to Lucifer. And it said, you rose up to heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. see, that's just a way of saying you just rose really high. You were highly elevated. It's a word that means elevated. Right. You were the most powerful there was yeah, at and that you, time. Yeah, you were highly elevated. It didn't mean that he was actually in heaven. It said you were in heaven. Well, or, you know, right. I, that's what the point well, I wanted to make. I mean, if we think about it, we can clearly see how this word was used more in the natural than the supernatural sense. When we read the first few chapters of Genesis, for instance, and it speaks of the firmament being divided into the earth below and the heaven above, and then alludes to the birds in the heavens, also the sun and moon being placed in the heavens. We know they're not talking about the right. realm of God. Right, yeah. Realistically, the Old Testament Hebrew believers didn't really refer to themselves as going to heaven. Did you ever notice that? Mm-hmm. In the, uh, they never really referred to themselves in the Old Testament to going to heaven in the afterlife. They mostly referred to themselves as joining their ancestors or going to the place of their fathers. The fact is, we have very little in the Old Testament and New Testament alike that gives us any details of the afterlife place most of us think of when we speak of heaven. So where do we get all this descriptive talk of heaven in the sense of where we go when we die? Well, we'll talk about that after a brief pause and regroup as we return with part two. Yeah, and I will throw in before we pause for this one that actually um, I learned helping the kids and Tabby and I did a study into Jewish culture. Okay. Mm -hmm. We found out that actually Jewish culture really doesn't believe in an afterlife. Well, they didn't really. So that was a big controversy over resurrection. Jesus Mm -hmm. came talking about resurrection and there was what the uh, Sadducees, which were as powerful as the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. They were a religious sect Mm -hmm. of the Jews. They they taught that there's no resurrection. There's yes. nothing. They taught basically there's You're nothing just, after there's nothing, there's after, nothing it. after this life, yeah. Okay, now we can pause. Okay. All right. Welcome back to segment two of episode 82 of God Beyond the Bible. We're glad that you guys are here with us, giving today's episode a listen. And we always welcome comments. Sure, definitely. We love interaction. Okay, so our topic for this episode is heaven. And in part one, we laid the groundwork for our discussion by pointing out that just because we read the word heaven doesn't automatically mean that the text is speaking of the dwelling place of the Most High. It's a term used to describe anything that is elevated above the surface of our planet Earth. That includes mountains, birds, clouds, Earth, moon, planets, and stars, and yeah, occasionally the dwelling place of God, angels, and any other spiritual or extraterrestrial beings. So with that said, today we'd like to focus on what most of us think of when we utilize the term heaven. And that is the place that we are going to spend eternity when we die. In fact, there are a few places in the Bible, almost exclusively in the New Testament, that speak of this place, if you will, that is God's abode. And it seems safe to say that since we will return to God when we die, 
then we will be where he is, regardless of what our interpretation of that place is. And that's right. kind of way. Yeah. I kind of leave those things up to God. <laughs> that's, right. That, that's what he does. That's his business. Uh, it seems that if we're to get a true account of what this place is like, uh, we need to listen to someone who's been there. The first and most likely candidate for that would be, of course, Jesus himself, if, if we're of the belief that he came here to planet Earth from God's presence. That means that Jesus knew exactly what heaven is. Now, let me say something about it, too. Jesus came to earth. I'm kind of of the persuasion. I'm going to throw this in because we'll talk about this sometime. I'm kind of of the persuasion that we all came from there, that we originated there, and that we actually knew. I just think we have a veil of forgetfulness over us. Jesus didn't have that, though. Jesus didn't come with the veil of forgetfulness that comes with humanity for most of us. He still knew what heaven where he came from we just don't know where we came from exactly i've always felt that those words that um i believe it was david and psalms saying that you know you knit me together in my mother's womb but you knew you knew me before i was ever in my mother's womb so i think that we had a very close connection with the spiritual realm before we're put here And that we go back to that understanding and we understand why we're here. I think it's just a veil of forgetfulness yeah. that this put placed on us. We just can't know. I don't know if that's a good word for it. It's just a, a veil of being con- of conscious of where we came from. I think that what we know in our spiritual self is more than what the mind that is in this body can process and handle. And so... In our, in our belief that Jesus came from heaven, that means that Jesus knew exactly what heaven is and where it's located. The truth is, Jesus spoke mostly of heaven as a concept. Did you ever think about that more mm-hmm. than a place? Most of his teachings were in parables about the phrase, he used the phrase, kingdom of heaven, rather than the description of a physical place. The one place that Jesus was clearly speaking of a place that we might call a direct teaching about heaven is found in John's gospel account. In John chapter 14, following what we refer to as the Last Supper, Judas Iscariot has left the group to arrange what we call the betrayal of Jesus, and sometime between the Last Supper and his arrest later that evening on the Mount of Olives, John records four whole chapters of dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. This only leaves a window of a few hours for all of this to occur. And let me point out that only John recorded the content. There's four chapters in the book of John that are nowhere else in the other Mm -hmm. Gospels. Okay, so let's get this straight in our minds. In John chapter 13, the last Passover meal is observed. Judas has gone off to betray Jesus, and in a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested and passed between the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Roman ruler Pilate to be judged and sentenced to death. So the disciples get up and they leave the upper room. Where and the we're told that that's, it's already night. Mm-hmm. If you remember, we're yes. told in other places it's already dark. It's not. So Jesus and the disciples get up and leave the upper room. Go ahead, Tracy. And they're on their way to the place of his arrest. Now, in this brief period of time, John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are a record of what John says took place. Chapter 18 Verses 1 through 3 read like this. Okay, now we went from 13 and we're jumping past those four chapters Mm -hmm. to show you where we are. Chapter 18. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew that place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. 
The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove where Jesus and his disciples were. So, in chapter 13, we have the Last Supper. And in Mm -hmm. chapter 18, we have the arrest of Jesus at the Mount of Olives. Mm -hmm. So we must conclude that the dialogue recorded in the four chapters in between all took place in a very brief period of time. Now, back to today's topic. Jesus opened the dialogue of that night with these words in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, as follows in the King James Version. It'll sound familiar to you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. Okay, let's take just a minute and clear up a few misconceptions about this passage from John's text. (laughs) Number one, Jesus didn't say anything about mansions. It's really unclear why the English translators chose this word mansion. As close to the Greek meaning as we can get is more like this. There is more than enough room where my father is. Unfortunately, from this single mistranslation, there has been a mass of speculation and misguided (laughs) teaching that God's dwelling place is a place of pomp and luxurious material comforts. All right, number two. Jesus didn't say that he was going to build a place we call heaven. He simply said, when I leave, it will be in preparation for you to come join me and my father in his dwelling place. There you go. The third thing we need to know about that, those three verses there in John chapter 14, is that we have no indication Jesus was speaking to anyone but the disciples. Now remember, where did this take place and who was there? It was no one but them. So we have no indication that Jesus was speaking to anyone but the disciples. Now remember, only the 11 remaining disciples were even present when this speech took place. Judas was off getting a gang of soldiers together, and some believe this was a special place just for those few that were chosen by Jesus during his earthly ministry. Not that we won't see a place called heaven, but that that they had special place. This might fall true when you look around the in the revelation at the 24 elders around the throne mm-hmm. 12 of them representing the 12 tribes of israel 12 of them representing because it says 12 of them mm-hmm. represented the 12 disciples mm-hmm. so they're going to have a very spe- they should have right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean <laughs> those guys earned a special spot right. but it's no indication that what jesus was talking about was a general population heaven does that make any sense it mm-hmm. does and if yeah. you are someone who has read or done any study on the book of Enoch, Enoch seems to support that, support that same idea we that do there know. is, we do, there's there a, is an afterlife for all of us, but this place that we call heaven and the throne room of God is a particularly set apart place for the specific few yeah. events to actually and, happen. And, and heaven is a kingdom. There is an order to it mm-hmm. and there are offices if you want to call it that there's a hierarchy Mm -hmm. or that's not really the word i need to use i think but there is it is and basically i mean there are responsibilities that are carried out by certain beings i mean that are created for specific tasks that that's what they do i uh, i don't know who did number three you did okay okay so number four it is clear that even the disciples were confused about what jesus was talking about i mean even at this late stage in the game 
they still didn't have a clear concept of what was happening. They asked where he was going and how they were to know, you know, how were they to know how to get there since they didn't know where he was going. Right. Anyway. And I can see how this could become of it. Wait, what do you mean? We're get, yeah. You're going <laughs> to get us all a place at your dad's place, but where's your dad's place at? Yeah. How do we and get And, you know, there? we're really hard on the disciples, but you have to remember, we have all of this already laid out for us. They're living this in the moment day to day. You know, we're like, how can they not understand? And I'm sure there, there's, <laughs> as John said... If everything that was said and done by Jesus was written down, there wouldn't be enough. So there, we don't have, we just have a little bit, but we have more than they had. Exactly. <laughs> we have created, what, some 30,000 Christian denominations yeah. out of Jesus' words. And yet we can't give the disciples room to be a little <laughs> exactly. bit confused when they're yeah. dealing with you all of it. disagree a little bit. I think you're five, aren't you, Tracy? I am. So Jesus is recorded to have used the term heaven many times in his teaching. And as we pointed out, we most often call it, he most often called it the kingdom of heaven, like as a here and now concept, and it wasn't some future place. It's interesting that Jesus did not define this place that he was going. This place where his father dwells, the place where he has promised his disciples that they will be, he did not refer to it as heaven. And I always thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. that he didn't. This would have been the perfect place to go, and the streets are paved with yeah, gold. Yeah, and he didn't and do it because all of these I think clear... he was telling those specific guys mm-hmm. about a specific thing that they were to be, with, mm-hmm. which they were all going to be there pretty quick because the ones that didn't die, we have no record for sure that any of them lived past the siege of AD 70. Yes. Uh, legend says that John did, but mm-hmm. they only do that so that they can put Revelation past you got to right, understand right. why they say that John lived past that because they have to put people have to that the futurists have to put Revelation past AD seventy for it to be a future prophecy, right. not a prophecy about the fall. Anyway, that's in some other deals, but you kind of get the gist. There's a lot of misconception, and we often attribute. I've done it myself. Attributed this in John fourteen to Jesus talking about heaven, but Jesus didn't say he was talking about heaven. He was talking about a place for the disciples. In my that's my opinion. Okay. Now, one reason to think that Jesus may have been talking about a special place just for the disciples is the fact that he was going and preparing it for them. And Jesus told the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. Now, paradise is only used three times in the entire Bible. It is from a Greek word, paradisos, meaning a place of future happiness. Jesus used it referring to where both he and the thief would be that very day. Paul used it in his near-death experience account in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 4, where he also called it the third heaven. Uh, we still don't know what he meant by that phrase. There's been a lot, and I'm not going to go into what everybody tries to say that well, is. Well, I will put the most basic on it that I can because we know that Paul had a lot of Greek influence in him. And in Greek mythology, there are... Levels of heaven. Yeah, okay. the, there's the lower level, the and there underworld. Be, there's oh, our plane, the second, and there's the dwelling place of the gods, which is the third. Okay. And I feel like that would be something that was pretty clearly understood in Paul's day. So maybe that's what he was trying to... I think that would fit. Yeah. Encourage. And uh, Paradisos was used in Revelation 2-7, where Jesus speaking through John to the church at Ephesus says, He that hath an ear, and I really have really missed this verse, this little piece in this verse all these years. Uh, uh, then we're in uh, Revelation 2-7, writing to Jesus speaking through John to the church at Ephesus and says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, saith unto the churches. 
to him that overcometh I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Hmm. I had not ever noticed that before I read it, you know, when we were studying for this. Okay. So, and with that thought, we're going to pause, regroup, and we'll be back with part three on our discussion of heaven. All right. And welcome back to part three of episode 82 of God Beyond the Bible. And today we're talking about heaven. And we've spent the first two segments pointing out that both the Hebrew and Greek words used for heaven were used very broadly in their application. And that some passages, such as the one in John chapter 14, are often interpreted as descriptions of heaven Yet they don't apply the word heaven. No, they in the don't. Passages. And it's like we were discussing in the break. Uh, Tracen was talking about the streets of gold. Everybody's always mm-hmm. talking about they're going to have the streets of gold. But that was a description of New Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. That was not, and it, and it seems to be a different place that maybe, I don't know, but we can't just. The city you know, of New Jerusalem, when, whether you are a futurist or a preterist or anywhere in between, is. A very mysterious mm-hmm. description. I think it's a. I think it's a spiritual place. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think we go in and out right now. I think we go in and out of New Jerusalem. That's why it says no unclean thing or anything yes. like that because it's all spirit. No flesh enters there. That we just sense. enter. We just go. I think it's hovering right now. I think that it's a dimension that hovers right around us right now. And, and when we commune with God, commune with the Spirit, so we go think- in and out. We enter in and out of the New Jerusalem all the time. And come back here to earth. Because if you notice, read about New Jerusalem, they're going in and coming out. Well, why Mm -hmm. would they be doing that if the world's ended and everybody's in heaven? Might be an interesting episode. Oh, okay. Anyway. He's going to move on before you decide (laughs) to do that. Yeah, before we do. Okay. Well, we've said many times that we believe that near-death experiences are legitimate. We believe it's clear uh, that that is the experience that Paul had. And he wrote of that experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12, we have concluded that while the word heaven appears almost 600 times in the Bible, that the Bible itself doesn't really offer as much information on the topic as some might want us to believe. Most of the preaching and teaching on what heaven is like is mostly left up to the liberty of the speaker or the teacher more than concrete biblical description. Since we here at God Beyond the Bible are confident that the near-death experience is a real phenomenon, we believe that we may be able to get a more realistic and clear picture of heaven from those who died, went there, and returned, just as Paul did. And we encourage you to go back and listen to episode number seven on near-death experiences, which is a topic that we hope to revisit in the not-so-distant future. I can't believe that was so many episodes ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, while every near-death experience is different, there seems to be a few common threads that are woven into the majority of them. We'd like to take our study of these accounts to give a scenario of what we think may happen when we die and what heaven or paradise may be like based on some of these accounts. Mm -hmm. Okay. With hundreds, if not thousands, of near-death experiences being reported each year and probably thousands more that are never talked about, uh, we think it may be that God is clearly trying to relate to humanity what to expect when we die. But we seem 
to not be so willing to take this information seriously, choosing instead to try to piece some fantastical portrayal of heaven together from the sparse and sporadic information scattered throughout the Bible. So uh, we're going to use our remaining time to present what the near-death experiences relate to us about heaven. And I have to pause here and say, isn't it funny how we read these out-of-body experiences that people like Paul and John had and wrote down in the Bible, and we literally take them as gospel truth. Catch the pun uh-huh. in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then when someone that we know and that we know is a good and honest just person... Don't, just has, Joe, Joe from off the street. Yeah, has this experience, and he confides in us that he experienced this, and we go, well, you were under a lot of stress, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Very good, yeah. Okay. First, both the Greek and Hebrew terms seem to hold true as far as heaven being elevated above the earth. Almost without exception, the person having the near-death experience reports traveling upward, and often they hover for a period over the place where their earthly body lies, but eventually they're pulled upward, often through a tunnel towards a light. Second, many if not most, report being greeted by family or loved ones that have passed on before them. And let us state here that most, like Paul, feel like they're in a body, but they know it isn't their physical earthly body. Some have even reported being united with family pets from their childhood. Usually, one or two family members sort of comfort and escort the person into the light. Now third, upon entering the realm of light, the person experiences absolute peace, no judgment, absolute unconditional love and acceptance, no fear, no worries. It's described as a peace that they have never experienced before, and many use the term euphoric to describe it. Fourth, many, if not most, go through a life review. It's common for them to review every moment and event where they encountered other people, good and bad. The only difference is that they are experiencing the emotions that the other person felt during their earthly encounter. In other words, if their encounter was hurtful to the other person, then they felt that hurt. Or if it was one that brought joy to the other person, then they felt that joy. The interesting thing about the life review is that they knew this was a judgment, but God didn't really seem to be involved. Their judgment was experiencing the emotions of the other people involved. Could this be what Paul referred to as the judgment seat of Christ that we all have to go through? Or that I'm, we all I very much think that this is the if you want to call it the trying by fire or yeah, whatever, yeah. because a lot of us have been through those experiences where you have said something kind of rude to someone else and then someone turns around and says that, you know, in a similar situation says the same thing to you and it hurts and you go, Wow. I well, need to be it, more cautious of how I speak. Well, do, do you not think? Do you not think if we all knew that this was the purging, the yes. life review was the purging of all the sin and everything you know that we've I done? I know what I'd want to experience more do, of. Yeah, would wouldn't it make it if we would teach this in the Christian religion? Mm-hmm. Do you not think we would be treating people a lot better, knowing well, that we're going to have to experience their emotions that we're placing on them, that we're going to get to experience that? I mean, that's what's so funny to me is we want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ being about a lie you told or this commandment yeah. you broke. No, 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 this. no, no. It's it's, it's so about how much. we treat people. Yes. It's about our interaction with other people and how and we encounter other people. It's also about them people. and not me. I hear that one a lot. It's not about me. I'm okay. It's you yeah. That, but you but hate nothing one, more than when you hurt someone you love. And I can't imagine of going through and feeling the emotions. Let me of go ahead and say, all of these people say that that 
that encounter with those other people that they had and and some of them are people still here on earth they're reliving mm-hmm. that encounter and there's people still alive. but that person in heaven walks away with an unconditional love mm-hmm because now they know exactly how that person felt when they did what they did. And so they everybody walks away with unconditional yes. love. Everything's cool. Everything's good. All right. So let's move on with, to number five. Many people experience nature, but they describe the colors and the sounds and the smells as nothing they ever experienced on earth. They also say that every living thing seems to communicate with them and with each other. And well, that I, I believe like that. Well, of- I think I think it's just an energy, and I think it's just an. That's what we get pulled back into is a, just a, a, the cosmos. Everything, the universe will make perfect sense. Yes, it'll just be. We'll just and we'll know everything. We don't have to ask it. You know, I hear people saying, "We've said it before." I'm going to ask God. Why? You don't have to ask anything. No. You're going to know everything. I kind of have to equate it to one of the things that Oprah um, says quite often is we're sort of like if you go out to the ocean and you scoop up a cup of ocean water you're separate from the ocean but that's still ocean water in the cup and if you dump it back in you'll never be able to have that same cup of well that's pretty cool yeah that's good but it's all still part of the ocean yes Mm -hmm. it's all part of the uh, well sixth uh, while most of them talk about what was said almost everyone says that whether that whether communicating with God, Jesus, or loved ones, they don't really speak. It's more telepathic than mm-hmm. oral communication. Seventh, it seems that upon being told they must return to their body in this realm, no one wants to. I mean, can you blame them? No, no. <laughs> They're experiencing paradise. Just the peace and sense of inc- unconditional love and acceptance is enough to make most of us. And, I, and I've said this, I've said this at, uh, especially recently at the funerals I do. What if we all get that choice to come back? And the only ones that do, and you know, some are forced. Some say, I didn't want to come back. They said, you got to go back. Yeah, you're but, not done but yet. But what if every one of us that got there and we had a choice, there's not that many people coming back, are they? No. no. Kind of makes you want so, And I, I, I think that's an option. Well, do you want to go back? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. So number eight, upon returning, they report that they are immediately back to experiencing pain. Yeah, mm. yeah. They're just right back into their earthly body of pain and, and suffering. Uh, the ninth thing that we've noticed that this, this fa- that's woven into the fabric of all of these experiences that they're not afraid of anything anymore, especially death and the afterlife. Even those who are, were unbelievers in anything like God or the afterlife all return as believers, and I mm-hmm. think that's pretty powerful right there. Tenth, the last thing, they each say that the meaning of our existence is love. Unconditional, non-judgmental love and acceptance of other people and an appreciation for all of creation. Yes. You know, I like, and I'm going to jump back to that, that we get to have that experience. What if we get to our biases like against homosexual people or against people of Mm -hmm. color? What if we get to experience them? Oh, wow. We get to be how that person felt. Think about how better we would treat people if we just would grasp this concept that we're going to relive all of this. Yeah. Yes. And we're go- but we're going to relive it as the other people we encountered, not as ourselves. I mean, it doesn't mean we become them, but we get to feel their emotions. Right. We know what's going on. You get on. to see their side of the story. Who's got the conclusion here? I Tracing? guess that's me. Okay. All right. So in conclusion, Guys, we realize that this depiction of what heaven may really be like is hard for some of us to grasp. It bothers some to think that everyone may actually go there and that hell 
that is experienced is the life review of how we've treated others in this life. That would be hell, would it not? Yes. Yes. (laughs) This would coincide with Jesus' teaching of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man got to experience how it felt to be the poor beggar, Lazarus. Yeah, he was in need, left out. Yes. Mm -hmm. In need. And we actually talked about this in episode number 16, which was titled, Is Hell Eternal Torment? We're sure of this one thing. God is unconditional love. And his love for us as humanity, he has a plan and a way to get us to the place he desires for us to be. You can call it heaven or paradise or whatever. Perhaps part of the secrecy of this place is that we are going to be overwhelmingly surprised by everything it entails. Ear hath not heard, eye hath not seen, neither has it entered into our thought process just what it is God has for us in the afterlife. And with that great thought, until next time, as always, may God's unconditional grace, peace, and love be in, on, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.